Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. Hello and welcome to The Top Story, a podcast with the headlines of the day from our correspondents around the world. I'm Siju. Coming up, the U.S. House of Representatives will elect a new speaker on Wednesday after Kevin McCarthy was ousted. Japan has started the second release of nuclear-contaminated wastewater from the Fukushima nuclear power plant into the Pacific Ocean. China has recorded over 100 million railway trips amid the holiday travel boom. And Italian authorities are investigating a horrific bus crash near Venice. We begin in North America. The race is on to grab the gavel left behind by ousted U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. The biggest question now on Capitol Hill is who will replace him. Some House Republicans are already throwing their names in the hat. But as Nathan King reports, it could be an uphill battle with much division and frustration. After the drama, what next? What we do know is that Kevin McCarthy, the man who only lasted nine months in the speakership and was the first to be ousted as speaker from the floor, has essentially said he is not running again. I believe I can continue to fight, maybe in a different manner. I will not run for speaker again. I'll have the conference pick somebody else. So the question next is who will take his place? Well, there are going to be lots of names floating around, but first of all, focus on these two. We have Steve Scalise, the number two of McCarthy, the House Majority Leader, who has been calling conservatives for a long time. He's a Republican from Louisiana. He is very much part of the MAGA crowd, although he does at the moment uh, have cancer and going under treatment for that. Also look at Jim Jordan. If anyone you look to the Benghazi hearings or the current impeachment inquiry, he is a flamethrower Republican congressman from Ohio, very much part of the MAGA crowd. The question is for both these and anyone else who gets in the races, can they command all of the votes essentially in the Republican caucus? Remember, they have a majority of about four. They can only lose about four votes. So it's going to be very, very difficult. There may be other contenders coming along as well. But essentially, it's a, to use a, a metaphor, It's a bit like a doctor changing, but the patient not. And the patient has the same diseases, the same divisions in the Republican Party when it comes to cutting spending or aid for Ukraine. Same divisions when it comes to whether to support Donald Trump's MAGA wing of the party or be more moderate. A lot of Republicans have seats where Joe Biden won to become president. So it's very, very complicated indeed. And the trouble is, Nothing can happen in the House of Representatives here until a speaker is appointed. Now, it'll take about a week for them to coalesce behind a candidate. There'll be a a private vote amongst the Republicans. Then it will go to the whole floor. You should imagine the Democrats opposing whatever their choice and trying to nominate their own minority leader, Hakeem Jeffries. That's formulaic. But it's going to be very, very difficult. That was Nathan King on the possible successors to ousted U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. For more on the issue, Asya Namda spoke with former U.S. News & World reporter, senior editor Joseph Williams. If you were a betting man, who would you put your money on? And at 
what point next week will we know who the next House Speaker is? Well, I mean, many people will say it's a fool's wager, mainly because this House has become so unpredictable. Uh, the smart money is, staying, is saying Steve Scalise, uh, more money is going on Jordan, which uh, indicates somebody who is going to be strong and who Republicans feel will not be ready to compromise no matter what the stakes are. So I think that's probably the safest two bets. As to when we'll know, it's hard to tell, mainly because the Republican Party has to coalesce. It has to think about where it wants to go. It has to decide if it can uh, heal these internal factions and then confront the fact that you've got a Democratic majority Senate and a Democrat in the White House, and anything they pass can only have a margin so thin that if it's at all controversial or all seemed as a compromise, you're going to need Democratic votes. So people like Jim Jordan, basically to Democrats would be a non-starter, and you're going to have a lot of division and gridlock, probably as much, if not more, than you do now. Why? What happened with Kevin McCarthy with this unprecedented vote yesterday, basically ousting him? Why this is such a big deal? Well, in the House, it, the, the House is the, institute, the American governmental institution that controls spending. So any kind of budget process, any kind of uh, special waivers, any kind of things that the government wants to spend money on, it has to go through the House. It's unprecedented on a couple of levels because first, you have a party that's in power, the party that has the majority, that's getting rid of its own title holder. You have somebody who is a leader that the rank and file support, but a small, small number decided he was unfit for the job, chose to have him ousted. Now, that's even after uh, Kevin McCarthy took 15 votes to become speaker in, in, in the first place. And one of the reasons why it took so many votes and one of the reasons why he was on such a string is among the concessions he made to get that hardline faction that we were talking about to vote for him. And among those concessions were, OK, guys, we're going to change the rules. If you don't like what I'm going to do, then you have the option to remove me. Is that enough to get your vote? You can pull my string at any time and I'll fall through the trap door. So certainly he set himself up for failure, but it certainly is unprecedented for a governing party, for a ruling body, to get rid of its own leader and do it in such a small amount of time with so many things at stake, including government spending, aid to Ukraine, as your correspondent mentioned, and keeping uh, hungry children fed and the lights in the government on. That's Joseph Williams, a former senior editor of U.S. News & World Report. Staying in the United States, more than 75,000 workers have walked off the job in five states and Washington, D.C., demanding higher wages. Caroline Malone has more. A group of medical workers, pharmacists and optometrists, eye doctors, uh, took part in a protest in Virginia as part of a much larger group protesting against Kaiser, against the health company who they say have to give them higher wages and need to hire more staff in order to improve their conditions. Uh, you know, the unions that are representing these workers say they've been part of negotiations for six months, and yet in that time, they haven't seen the types of conditions that they need to see for their staff members. We were there during COVID. Frontline healthcare workers were there for our patients, for our communities. We were touted as healthcare heroes. And now when we're at bargaining, all we are told is we're too expensive. Are these 
today's workers say a lot of their colleagues have left since then and they haven't seen an increase in wages. So that's why they've decided to come out to the streets across different states of the United States and make sure that the company starts to appreciate them in the way that they feel like they should be. That's Caroline Malone. In China, the country is seeing a travel rush during the National Day holiday. Hainan is one of the top tourist attractions. Xie Xiaopeng reports from the tropical island. In the first four days of the holiday, Hainan's three major airports in Haikou, Sanya, and Qionghai saw a total of approximately 3,600 flights and a passenger throughput of 506 to 1,000 trips. These figures reflect a surge of 173% and 272% respectively, compared to the same period last year. Airports and airlines say they are fully prepared for the tourist frenzy. Various airlines have launched special flights for inbound and outbound routes from Haikou, covering first-tier cities such as Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou and Shenzhen. Sanya Phoenix International Airport has communicated with airlines in advance to open more check-in counters and security screening lanes during peak travel hours. Yacht sailing is a popular choice in Sanya, especially for water sports enthusiasts. In the first two days of the holiday, some 5,000 visitors took over 800 yacht sailing trips, an increase of around 248% and 195% compared with last year. Our yacht bookings have increased compared to the same period last year, and these two boats are basically fully booked for the upcoming days. I came from Anhui province. I can drink coconut water and enjoy the sea view while sailing. I'm looking forward to it. Haikou Customs registered a total of 426 million yuan of duty-free sales in the first three days of the Golden Week up 40.3% compared to the same period last year. That was Xie Xiaopeng on a travel boom in China during the National Day holiday. Data shows that Chinese railways recorded over 17 million passenger trips on Tuesday, bringing the total number of trips made on railways to 114 million over the past seven days. Meanwhile, the Ministry of Culture and Tourism expects domestic trips across China to hit nearly 900 million during the holiday. Staying in Asia, Japan has started the second release of nuclear-contaminated wastewater from the crippled Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant into the Pacific Ocean. The Tokyo Electric Power Company, the plant's operator, says it plans to carry out the release over 17 days to discharge 7,800 tons of the radioactive wastewater, roughly the same amount as the first discharge, which ended on September 11th. On Wednesday, the South Korean government said it will send a team of experts to Japan to monitor the situation. Jack Barton has more. This will be the third team of experts that South Korea has sent to Japan to monitor the water release and also ahead of the water release, uh, the first team arrived. They're from the National Institute of Nuclear Safety and what we're told is they will be at the International Atomic Energy Agency monitoring site at Fukushima and they will also be given access to the general TEPCO facilities to oversee at least the initial part of what is expected to be a 17-day second release. We don't know if they're going to be there for the entire release and it's part of President Yoon Song-yeol's balancing act really 
Uh, the South Korean government, which has been seeking better relations with Tokyo, has essentially signed off on the release, while knowing that a large part of the South Korean public remains opposed to it. Uh, the most recent polls we have from the Gallup poll uh, shows that a little more than 70% of South Koreans continue to disapprove of the release and that even amongst conservatives, the people that vote for President Yoon Song-yeol, about 50% are also a disapprove of the release. And the number one fear is really around seafood. And we've seen seafood sales really drop. I was speaking to the manager of a branch of a popular chain in Gangnam, and he was telling me that they've been running at a loss now for about six months, and they're really having serious discussions about whether to hold on to see if the situation improves or just close up the business. So, you know, we've seen the big demonstrations die down, but the concerns that linger, and this really does remain a contentious issue despite the government's attempts to try and allay people's fears here. That's Jack Barton in South Korea. The Prime Minister of Thailand has vowed preventive measures on guns after shooting at an upscale Bangkok shopping mall left two people dead and five others wounded. Police arrested a 40-year-old suspect soon after the first reported gunshots at the mall. Police have filed several charges, including premeditated murder and illegal possession of a firearm and ammunition. More details from Dusita Saukau. It took minutes for a suspected gunman, a 14-year-old boy with a modified blank gun, to fire live rounds. Scenes of chaos, people running out of the mall, shoppers terrified, people hiding. Unimaginable in a mall like Siam Paragon, one of the largest luxury malls in the heart of Bangkok, in the nation's economic heart. A tragedy that has hit ties so close to home, in a mall packed with foreign tourists. Everyone was running to escape. Everyone ran without any thought, not knowing the direction that they were running, or whether they were running towards the chaos. Everyone just ran. But it will soon be revealed that this nightmare would quickly spread across borders to China. Among the two killed in this tragic incident, one was a Chinese tourist. Among the injured, also a Chinese tourist. We have received reports that the Chinese victim entered Thailand on September 27th under the new visa-free policy for Chinese nationals. The shooting that took place along Bangkok's main shopping belt came as the country had been rolling out measures to boost its sluggish economic recovery. These included stimulus measures to increase tourism through a visa-free policy for Chinese tourists, who had just begun the annual Golden Week holiday. China is a crucial market for Thailand's tourism industry, accounting for nearly a third of its record of nearly 40 million visitors in pre-pandemic times. The anticipation of a surge in Chinese travelers this year has now been dampened. The Thai government swiftly vowing to restore confidence. After all the facts have been, have been found, we, I called the Chinese ambassador and apologized to him about the unfortunate incident. And I have reassured him that the Thai government is doing all, all, all we can to help. And the uh, Excellency has been kind enough to give me support and understanding. And he is certain that it will not affect the confidence of the Chinese government and the Chinese tourists. The fact that a Chinese tourist was killed in this incident has no doubt become a huge concern 
for Thailand's new government. Thailand was banking on tourism to boost its fragile economy. And a visa-free policy was implemented just a little over a week ago. The strategy to ensure the safety of tourists has now become a top priority. While the 14-year-old suspect was apprehended and taken into police custody, many questions remain. How did a minor get a hold of a firearm? How will Thailand deal with its persistent gun violence problem? How will this land of smiles still be a major tourism drawcard at a time when those smiles are fading? That was to sit a sarkar on a shooting at a mall in Bangkok. Finally, in Europe, Italian authorities are investigating what caused a horrific bus crash near Venice on Tuesday. 21 people have been killed, including two children. Giles Gibson has more. There is a real sense of shock here in Italy at the nature of this tragic incident. The front page of La Repubblica newspaper, one of the biggest newspapers in this country, with the headline simply reading, Pullman della Morte, or Coach or Bus of Death. Part of that shock stems from the fact that this was a group of tourists who'd just been touring the sites of Venice and were heading to their campsite to spend what should have been the evening of a holiday, but which, of course, took a very tragic turn. Also, part of that sense of shock is the fact that there were many young people on board this bus and many young people amongst the victims and also amongst the injured. Just giving you one case, a pair of German brothers who were just 7 and 13 years old. They managed to survive the crash and are now receiving treatment for injuries in hospital, but they lost both of their parents in the crash. Much of the initial focus of the investigation that's been launched by local authorities is into the driver, a 40-year-old Italian man who sadly died in the crash. Now, the president of the Veneto region uh, has said that everything points to some sort of driver illness, and also the head of the bus company has put forward that as a theory as to what could have caused this tragic incident. Now, we do have some security camera footage that's been released by local authorities. Uh, That shows the bus moving along a straight section of road, so it wasn't going around a tight turn or anything like that. Uh, It is not raining, so the, the, the weather was dry, so the surface wasn't affected in any way. And the bus also in that video appears to be moving at a pretty slow speed when it sort of, uh, sort of overturns and falls off the overpass and then fell around about 10 metres before it smashed into the ground. So the initial focus of the investigation is on this theory that the driver could have uh, suffered from some sort of medical emergency. But of course, that investigation is still in its early stages. That was Giles Gibson on the fatal bus crash near Venice. Now recapping the day's headlines, the U.S. House of Representatives will elect a new speaker on Wednesday after Kevin McCarthy was ousted. Japan has started the second release of nuclear-contaminated wastewater from the Fukushima nuclear power plant into the Pacific Ocean. China has recorded over 100 million railway trips amid a holiday travel boom. And Italian authorities are investigating a horrific bus crash near Venice that has killed 21 people. And that's it for this edition of The Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports and culture, you can subscribe to The Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Qi Zhi. Thanks for joining us.